0: So, we're in this uh, series at the moment where we've been looking at some of the minor characters in the Bible, and this morning we're going to look at Nicodemus. The question is, yeah, what role did Nicodemus play, I guess? This is what we want to know. What 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 can Nicodemus teach us? And I've kind of subtitled this that Nicodemus was a sincere seeker, somebody who genuinely wanted to find out about Jesus. Maybe he was looking for his own identity as well. So who was Nicodemus? In, in order to kind of get a little bit of insight here, we need to do a little bit of background to understand who Nicodemus was and the conversation that he had with Jesus, which is actually so familiar to all of us. But we need to understand a little bit of the background. And In terms of looking at the background, we we just need to understand a little bit about Jewish structure at the time of Jesus. There were two ruling classes, effectively, in Israel at that time. So Israel was under Roman rule, but the Romans allowed them a certain amount of autonomy, if you like. And there were two ruling classes, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And just briefly, it's worthwhile having a look at the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and also the the Sanhedrin, just to understand a little bit about where Nicodemus was coming from. So the Sadducees, the Sadducees, that that word actually means the, the righteous. The Sadducees were upper class. They were the aristocrats, if you like. They were all wealthy, powerful men, and they actually effectively colluded with the Romans. They were in bed with the Romans. They supported the Roman rule. So they were kind of politically active, probably more politically active than religiously active in all honesty. Uh, so they they were propping up the the Roman government. And because they were aristocrats and because they were propping up the Roman government, really the ordinary people in Israel held them in pretty much contempt. So the Sadducees didn't really have any relationship with the common people. Sadducees relied on the written word of God. That was their basis for belief, what, what was written in the Old Testament. And they had some interesting ideas that went along with that. They were self-sufficient. They, they To the point that they even kind of denied the involvement of God in day-to-day life so God wasn't really meaningful in terms of the day-to-day life they didn't believe in any resurrection of the dead they denied there was any sort of afterlife and they denied the existence of any sort of spiritual realm they were an interesting bunch of people the Sadducees and then we have the Pharisees and the Pharisees were the other part or the other sect or denomination, if you like, in, in our terms, maybe, that were part of this ruling class for the Jews. Pharisees is a term that means separated ones. Traditionally, Pharisees were middle class people, they were businessmen, so they were more in touch with the ordinary people. They were respected by most of the Jews. They also relied on the written word of God, what was in the Old Testament, but they also had a huge amount of oral tradition, so teaching that was handed on that expanded on what was present in the Old Testament. They were really meticulous about keeping the law, both what was written in the Old Testament and also this oral tradition that was handed down. They did believe in the involvement of God in day-to-day life. They believed in the resurrection of dead, they believed in an afterlife, and they believed in angels and demons. So there, there were certainly differences between Sadducees and Pharisees. The Pharisees were, again, meticulous about keeping the law. We could play a game, I'm not going to play the game, but we could play the game of let's name the Ten Commandments. Now, I've got to tell you, if you put me on the spot and said, what are the Ten Commandments, I I did this to myself. I played this game with myself, and I think I got six out of ten after a while. And, you know, probably, if collectively we put our minds together, we would get all Ten Commandments. might take us a few minutes, but we'd probably get all Ten Commandments, right? But it would take us a few minutes. So the Pharisees had 613 Commandments and they knew every one of them. Those were the written commandments. Those were the, the commandments that they took out of the Old Testament. But they not only had those 613 written commandments, they also had all this oral tradition that was handed down. So just by example, keep the Sabbath holy. One command, keep the Sabbath holy. Well, the Pharisees then had another 29 oral traditions that went along with that how do you keep the Sabbath holy well you can only walk a certain number of steps and I'm pacing up and down here I've probably done too many already you can only walk a certain number of steps to keep the Sabbath holy you can only write a certain number of words to keep the Sabbath holy so 29 sub and there were even sub rules below that so you've got these 613 commandments, then all the oral tradition, and the Pharisees were, were steeped in this. They knew all of these rules. They understood them, and they tried to keep them, particularly rules about keeping pure. And then we have the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was the governing body, if you like. It looked after uh, civil and, and religious laws, in effect. Uh, this goes back to the Old Testament. Sanhedrin means assembly of God, but this goes back to Numbers when God was instructing the Israelites and he was saying, you know, in, in each town have a body of people, a body of, of priests and judges that can effectively be the local court, if you like. Look after local affairs, religious and civil affairs. And then in Jerusalem, there was the Great Sanhedrin. This was the High Court, if you like. Anything that couldn't be sorted out locally was referred up to the High Court, the Great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. So this was the, the Supreme Court. It numbered about 70, maybe 71 people. Most of those were the Sadducees. So again, they were politically active they were keeping the balance with Rome etc but there were Pharisees on the Sanhedrin as well and the Sadducees actually had to pay quite a lo- lot of attention to the Pharisees because the Pharisees were the one that were in contact with the common people so they had the backing of most of the population so the Sadducees had to be a little bit careful and uh, be a little bit mindful of what the Pharisees were saying so this was the kind of political and religious system that was in place why am I telling you all this one other thing that we need to do just to put Nicodemus into context just to remind you this passage in numbers numbers chapter 21 so this is when the Israelites were wandering in the desert they'd come out of Egypt been led out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, but they were wandering in the desert. And we we have this odd little passage in Numbers where, as so often happened, the Israelites were complaining, they were getting fed up, they were not trusting God in terms of the journey that they were on, and they started complaining. And they started saying again, you know, things were so much better for us in Egypt. You know, when we were slaves, things were so much better for us. And so they started complaining, and God allowed this this plague of poisonous snakes to come in. Snakes started biting people, and they were dying. And so the Israelites said, oh, look, clearly we've sinned. We understand we've sinned against God. And they went to Moses and said, Moses, please pray to God for us. Take away this plague of snakes. And so Moses prayed, and God said to Moses, make an image of a snake and hold it up. So Moses made a a bronze image of a snake, held it up, and if somebody had been bitten by a poisonous snake, they could look at this, and they'd be healed, and they would live. And you kind of think, that's a weird thing. It's only in in retrospect, it's only when we understand it through the lens of the New Testament that we can put any sort of sense on that. It's a really odd passage. Okay, back to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So he was one of the people that had those 613 rules written on his heart. He knew those rules. And he knew the hundreds and thousands of subclauses that went along with that, that oral tradition. He was a member of the Sanhedrin as well. So he was highly, highly respected. He was a religious leader in the top order. He was an older man. He was wealthy. We know that from subsequent passages in the Bible he was wealthy for sure he, he would have been an intellectual and he went to visit Jesus he went to see Jesus probably on a stormy night and possibly at John the disciple's house so that's the passage that we have in John 3 so I'm going to read this in John 3 there was a man named Nicodemus a Jewish religious leader Member of the Sanhedrin, who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, asked Nicodemus. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish leader and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And that is the the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. There's three other things to put this into context that, that I want to highlight. If you read through John's Gospel, this passage, this time when Nicodemus goes to see Jesus at night this comes just after Jesus cleared the temple you know when Jesus formed a whip and went through the temple and drove out the the money changers and those who are selling You know, you're making my father's house somewhere that you buy and sell this is my father's house you know that that would have been powerful at the time wouldn't it you know, Jesus going into the temple, taking a whip and driving these people out. What would the Sadducees and Pharisees have thought about that at the time? Certainly they would have been threatened by that. Also, John tells us, and it, it, it can't be coincidence, John tells us these things for a reason. He also says at the end of chapter 2, many people began to trust Jesus because of the miracles he was performing. So Jesus was performing miracles, and people were noticing it, at least paying attention to it. And again, this is something that is going to be challenging the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're going to be worried. Religiously, they're going to be worried. What does it mean for, for us religiously, but also politically? The stability of the political situation. Jesus is beginning to get a following, He's beginning to get people turning towards him. And the other thing John tells us is no one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And John tells us that just before we get this passage where Nicodemus goes to meet Jesus. Again, it's not coincidence. John's reminding us that Jesus could see into people's hearts. He knew where their heart was. So I want to look again at that passage and just highlight a few things. Uh, I want to notice that actually Nicodemus spoke only three times and he didn't speak very much at all to Jesus. He had his kind of opening sentence where he's kind of introducing himself to Jesus and then he has two short questions and the rest of it is all Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And the thing is, that this, this nice fancy machine there, uh, that, that's called a retrospectoscope, okay? A retrospectoscope is a fantastic thing because we sit here and we look back on this passage with the knowledge of what happened to Jesus, with the knowledge that Jesus died, with the knowledge that Jesus rose from the dead, the knowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Nicodemus didn't know that. He didn't know any of that. So this encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus, you've got to, or, or to understand it, we've got to try to put our mindset into where Nicodemus was at the time. And it's hard. You know, we, we, don't, we can't do that fully. But there are some things that I think are quite interesting. So this is the opening gambit from Nicodemus. So it's a dark night. It's probably a stormy night and at night time Nicodemus has gone perhaps to John the disciple's house where he knew Jesus was and he knocks on the door. Maybe John goes to answer the door and he says, John, I want to see Jesus. Can you let me in? Please, I want to talk to him. This man, this one of the 70 from the Sanhedrin, this person who is high up in the Jewish culture comes and says I want to speak with Jesus so perhaps he's led in into the room where Jesus is sits down with Jesus starts off rabbi we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you we all know Nicodemus probably went at night Because he didn't want to be seen. Probably it was pretty risky for him to go and see Jesus at that time. Jesus had been making a name for himself. Driving people out of the temple. Doing miracles. So he probably went at night to keep things quiet. But he's not the only one amongst the Pharisees. Who thinks there may be something in this. We need to find out a little bit more. So at least he's got some other people around him who are saying, look, this guy's doing miracles. God is with you. God is with Jesus. He can't be doing all these things without God being with him. What is it? What's he doing? Is he the next prophet? Is he the Messiah? So this is Nicodemus' opening gambit you know he's he's saying to jesus i'm not the only one there are several of us that can see that you've come from god and then jesus says i'll tell you the truth unless you're born again you cannot see the kingdom of god and you think what i mean seriously that's that doesn't make sense does it i mean it, it it's a bit like me perhaps going round to roger and claire's house one evening and i say to roger you know I know you're a really good solicitor, Roger. And Roger says to me, yeah, but you've got to build a house with the yellow bricks first. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, Nicodemus hasn't even asked a question, in fact. <laughs> but Jesus is seeing into his heart. Jesus could see into people's heart. And I guess where Nicodemus's heart was was simply... I want to understand the kingdom of God. I have all these rules that I've followed all of my life, but I want to see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again or born from above, dual meaning, born again or born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so then we have this exchange. What do you mean? How can an old man, he is an old man, How could an old man go back to his mother's womb and be born again? And, I mean, probably what Nicodemus is saying is, you don't really mean this, do you? You don't really mean physical rebirth. What do you mean? What do you really mean? And again, Jesus talks to him about entering the kingdom of God because Jesus knows where his heart is. Jesus knows that Nicodemus is there seeking... The kingdom of God. He sees something in Jesus. He wants what he sees. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And there's a passage here where Jesus is talking. uh, And again, this would be something that Nicodemus, would probably understand certainly when nicodemus went away and reflected on it he'd understand but there are echoes here of ezekiel and if you have time when you get back home look look at ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 where ezekiel is prophesying about the future about the new relationship that god will have with his people and he talks about water water And the spirit being cleansed by water. So it's not just water in terms of physical rebirth. It's water in terms of cleansing. It's the spiritual relationship that God is building with his people. Taking away the heart of stone. Putting in a heart of flesh. And the wind that blows through that valley of dry bones. All of that there are echoes of here. And we go through it really quickly. And we don't really see it unless we stop and look. And probably, maybe at the time, Nicodemus didn't understand all of this. But when he went away and he thought about it, certainly he would have known his Old Testament inside out. And he would have been able to see what Jesus was referring to. Have to be born of the water and the Spirit. Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say you've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. The wind blows wherever it wants. You can't control it. That's how it is with the Spirit. And for Nicodemus, you know, this must have been odd stuff to hear from Jesus. Somebody whose life was governed by all these rules, and Jesus said, (laughs) this is the Spirit, it blows where it wants. You can't control it. You (laughs) You can't have another rule that decides what happens with the spirit and then nicodemus says how are these things possible this is the only other question from nicodemus how are these things possible and jesus probably teases him a little bit here he's probably got a bit of a smile on his face don't you think he says hey nicodemus you're a respected jewish leader don't you understand these things don't you understand you spent your whole life studying the Bible don't you understand these things we tell you what we know and what we've seen yet you won't believe our testimony if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things how am I going to explain these heavenly things to you how am I going to get this across to you Nicodemus and then you get this passage no one's ever gone to heaven and returned And I'm sure Nicodemus would have thought, yeah, nobody's gone to heaven and returned. Might believe in an afterlife, but nobody's gone to heaven and returned. And then Jesus says, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Boom, there it is. The Son of Man has come down from heaven. Suddenly, Nicodemus is in this room with Jesus, and Jesus is effectively saying to him, I've come from heaven. I have come from God. I am here now in front of you. I have come from heaven talk about a game changer (laughs) and then jesus talks about that passage from numbers with moses where the israelites were being killed by the snakes moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness the israelites were healed from their physical suffering and jesus says so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life We can understand now, looking back, what that means with the cross. At the time, (laughs) I've no idea what Nicodemus would have made of that. You know, Jesus has just told him, I've come from heaven. I've come from God the Father. I'm standing here in front of you. I'm from heaven. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of God. And then he talks about the Son of Man being lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I mean, this this is complete, complete change for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who has spent his life following the rules, doing everything he can to be obedient to the rules, and Jesus says, I've got to be lifted up so that people believe in me and will see the kingdom of God. We'll come into the kingdom of God. We'll have eternal life and then you know the verses that that we know so well God so loved the world he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. not to create another rule not to create another law not to judge anybody but to save them but not only that oh he loved the whole world (laughs) Nicodemus was a Jew the Jews were God's chosen people I'm not sure what Nicodemus's idea of the Messiah was but Jesus is talking to him and basically saying to Nicodemus look I don't know what you were looking for but I am the Messiah I am the Messiah and it's not just for you Nicodemus it's not just for you and the Jews I've come for the whole world the whole world and Nicodemus's world is kind of crumbling beneath him literally crumbling beneath him it's not just the Jews Jesus is challenging all of the authority that he thought he had based on following the rules and the regulations and then Jesus starts to use the analogy of the light Referring to the kingdom of God as light. And I wonder, you know, it's, it's this dark, stormy night. They've probably got a, an oil lamp in the room. You know, did Jesus beckon to Nicodemus, come over to the lamp. Come over here. People who do evil hate the light. Those who do what's right come into the light. Nicodemus, you came to me in the dead of night when it was dark. I want to pull you into the light. It's a pretty amazing encounter. And Jesus ultimately is saying to Nicodemus, You've got to believe in me. Not the rules, not the regulations. They're worthless, Nicodemus. You've got to believe in me. Then you can come into the kingdom of God. I think that's an amazing encounter an amazing encounter. You know, I, I, so often when we read the Bible, we can skim over things fairly quickly. Uh, and, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to really understand the impact and to understand the context. But hopefully, you know, we've been able to understand a little bit with Nicodemus there. You know, just what a powerful encounter this was with jesus nicodemus i I am sure jesus knew his heart i am sure that nicodemus went to jesus because he was seeking something about the truth of the kingdom of god but boy (laughs) he would not have expected what he heard and he would have gone away and he would have thought about those things and he would have reflected on what he knew of the old testament And the challenge that was to him. And I wonder, you know, when when Jesus was crucified, would Nicodemus have thought, ah, lifting up the snake, Jesus crucified. I wonder. So what lessons can we learn from Nicodemus? Just briefly, what lessons can we learn from Nicodemus? I think there are a few things that are worthwhile highlighting. Firstly, the, that Nicodemus was a genuine seeker. He wanted to know. That was where his heart was, and that's the starting point, isn't it? Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If we are genuine, if we want to find out, about Jesus if we want to find out about the kingdom of God if we want to see more of God's kingdom in our lives if we are genuine God will show us and that's certainly one of the lessons that Nicodemus teaches us second thing I wanted to highlight was Jesus the evangelist really Because I think it's really interesting when you look at at the encounters Jesus had with different people in the Bible. Every person is an individual and every individual Jesus dealt with in a different way. Basically according to their needs. You know, so Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was an intellectual person. He followed all of the rules. And so Jesus doesn't just challenge him he intrigues him he talks to him on terms that Nicodemus would understand he engages with his mind he's almost talking in parables at times here and Nicodemus would I think unless he was massively intelligent he would have had to have gone away And he'd have had to have spent days and maybe weeks working through all of that stuff. What what does this really mean? So Jesus was engaging with him where Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was seeking, but Jesus had to engage with his mind. He had to sow seeds that might later on result in a change of heart. Not right then, not right there, Nicodemus wasn't ready. Jesus was sowing seeds in the hope and belief that at some point in the future that would reap some sort of reward. We have to talk to people as individuals with the message of Jesus. Not just reading from a script but engaging with them where they are. And then the whole message About being born again being born from above and what Jesus tells us in this passage that we know so well what Jesus tells us is that being born again is not a call to any form of morality or religion because I tell you Nicodemus had that in spades he was a religious leader. He was a member of the elite. He was one of the 70 in the Sanhedrin. You couldn't get much more religious than Nicodemus. He knew all 613 laws. He knew all the sub-laws and clauses and subclauses that they'd introduced. He was trying his best to be an upright moral person. And Jesus said, you don't get it. It's not about that. You've got to believe in me. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. Then you will see God's kingdom. Then you can have an encounter with the living God. And he's saying to Nicodemus, you're an old man. You've been steeped in the law. You know everything there is. To know about religion. But you've got to start again. You've got to start right from the beginning. You've got to be born again. You've got to see God in a whole new way. You've got to believe in me. You've got to receive the gift of the Spirit. Everyone starts in the same place. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are. Jesus sometimes teaches that you know, it's easier for, for the outcast than the establishment to see the kingdom of God. It's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Well, just because it's harder for them to see that they need to start again, that they need to go right back to the beginning, right back to the point where it's total reliance on God, not on anything we can do, not on rules, not on obedience but on what God has done for us and Jesus is actually saying to Nicodemus don't don't treat me like a teacher don't seek yet another understanding of the law don't look for me to tell you how to interpret the law how to put a few more regulations in place so that you can more clearly see the kingdom of God whatever you do whatever rules whatever regulations you put in place That's not going to make any difference. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do that can save yourself. Nothing. The law is one thing. It's a reflection, a poor reflection perhaps of the nature of God. The gospel is something entirely different. The gospel is God reaching out of heaven saying, I'm going to do this for you. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do to make yourself righteous in front of me. I'm going to do it for you. Jesus says, I've come as your Savior. You've got to turn to me. You've got to believe in me. That's what you've got to do. Then you will see the kingdom of God. Forget about the rules. Forget about the regulations. And people that say that Jesus was a great teacher just completely miss the point. Yeah, Jesus taught. He had some pretty profound things to say. But what did he say most importantly? Believe in me. Trust in me. God has sent me to save you. So it's all about the law versus grace. It's all about the freedom that we have because of what Christ has done for us it's about relationship with God it's about our hearts it's about God's gift of his spirit working in each one of us it's setting aside legalism and fear and God gifting us with love and salvation freely out of his hand nothing that we could do to deserve it and we have to live out that new birth every single day. We have to choose, are we going to live under the law or are we going to live under the freedom that Christ has given us? We have to see things differently. We have to know the person that gave up everything for us. We have to set aside rules and regulations. And it's not always easy, you know. Because when you have a little bit of truth, the temptation is to try and wall that in, to try and contain it, and to try and put rules and regulations in place. And we're all guilty of it in the church, putting rules and regulations in place, effectively laws in place. Simple example, what about tithing? Tithing was an Old Testament law, right? I'm not going to turn this into a sermon about giving, but the New Testament principle about giving has nothing to do with tithing. You will still hear people saying, well, you know, if that was good enough in the Old Testament, then the minimum we should be doing is tithing, right? Because we're New Testament people. We're people of the New Covenant. If that was good enough for the Old Testament, the minimum we should do is tithe and then more. And Jesus says, come on, guys, shut up, shut up. Don't you get this? Not another rule. Not another rule. I want your heart. Give me your heart. Give out of your heart, not out of a rule. Come on. (laughs) Jesus was lifted up to take away the venom, the poison, the pain of laws and regulations to give us new life simply by accepting what he did for us and finally Jesus sees what we will be when eventually we do get over ourselves when eventually we set aside trying to live our lives by rules and regulations when we are born of the spirit because that encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus that wasn't the end of the story with Nicodemus Nicodemus occurs two other times in the gospel of John first time is in John chapter 7 John chapter 7 the Pharisees are getting really worried about Jesus to the point where they're thinking right we're going to have to arrest this guy we're going to have to arrest him and do something about him because he is stirring up so much trouble Nicodemus is mentioned Because Nicodemus tries to put a halt to this. Nicodemus tries to say, hang on a minute, just a minute, before you go and arrest Jesus, our law will not let us judge a person without hearing him. We cannot judge him until we know what he has done. Is Nicodemus a believer at that point? Had he had a change of heart? Was he trusting in Jesus? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. But for sure, Nicodemus wasn't going to condemn Jesus at that point. But there's one other time when Nicodemus is mentioned at the cross when Jesus has died. And at the cross after Jesus has died, John tells us that two people went and took the body of Jesus down, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They went and took the body of Jesus and put it in the tomb. I think this is where we know we know that Nicodemus believed and I'll tell you why Nicodemus was handling a dead body Nicodemus was taking our Lord down from the cross and burying him that was the work of women at the time not the work of men traditionally at the time men wouldn't have gone near a dead body they wouldn't have handled a dead body That was the work of women. But much more than that, this was at the time of Passover. Nicodemus, under those 613 laws and rules, would have known exactly what he needed to do to keep himself pure at the time of Passover. Keeping himself pure at the time of Passover, he would not have gone near a dead body. Handling a dead body would have made him totally unclean. But at the time of Jesus' death, Nicodemus went with Joseph to collect the body, to wrap it up, to anoint it with myrrh. 70 pounds in weight of myrrh that Nicodemus bought to anoint the body. Yeah, Nicodemus got it. His heart of stone was changed a heart of flesh I don't think there is any doubt from what we read Jesus was prepared to lose the love of the Father so we could have it through a new life Should we just pray Hmm. Jesus we just want to thank you for for what you've done for us thank you for choosing to die on the cross for us choosing to give us freedom choosing to take the sin of the world on your shoulders at the cross and father we just want to say sorry for the times that that we put rules and regulations in place we want to say sorry for the times when we look for justification under the law father help us to understand the depth of the love you have for us. Father, help us to have hearts that seek after you, hearts that are changed, changed forever because of what you've done for us, not because of anything that we have done. Father, help us to understand the depth of that love, the reality of that love, and every day to live in the freedom that you give us. Thank you, Father. Amen.